0: Hey, green future growers. Welcome to season four. I'm your host, Jackie Marie Byer. I'm here to help you create, grow, and enjoy your own organic oasis. I hope you'll subscribe for free on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And let's get growing.
1: Now, where are you located? I'm in central Pennsylvania near Harrisburg. Oh, cool.
0: I'm originally a New Yorker but I have been in Montana for I don't know 30 something years now since I was 21 so basically my adult life. Wow is that uh, where you are
1: now? I am. I am. Okay awesome very nice. And
0: uh, I read a book about Montana when I was a little girl and was like I'm gonna move there when I grow up and then I got Montana.
1: Oh no way how cool is that?
0: It's super cool and not only that like you know I like read the book when I was a kid but then when I moved here like I just got a map out and I was like all right I want to go where the trees are and it turns out like the little girl like the town that supposedly she was near is like pretty close to us like I got really close (laughs) yeah so anyway super fun all right well so I've got
1: your questions pulled up um no problem tell me a little bit about your audience so that I know how to tailor these questions
0: okay Well, I call my audience green future growers. I am one of that here. I probably could put my video on for a second. Yeah. Kind of embarrassing. Hi. Hi. Um, Good to meet you. Oh, cool. All right. I'm going to turn off. And then, um, so I call them green future growers because we're all kind of dedicated to growing a, um, you know not just a garden but like caring about the environment and growing like a greener world type of like you know one of the questions i get a lot is what do i do about my neighbors um so people that are passionate about the environment as much as growing fruits and vegetables of course my listeners have told me numerous times you know don't forget we really want to know how to grow the best tomato or how to grow the best you know zucchini or whatever Right. Um, But they are interested in landscapes and flowers. Like, I've always kind of dreamed of being a flower farmer. I like to grow a lot of flowers. Um, Definitely more so. Like, if I ever do go to market, I'm sure I will go to market to sell flowers more than that. Like, I feel like. So my seven year anniversary was just January 29th. And I- Congratulations. That's awesome. Thanks. I used to call myself the organic eater because my husband was really the gardener, but I've really learned a lot about growing vegetables, but they definitely take a lot more energy care. um, Oh, I bet. What's your last frost? Herbs. Our last frost can be anywhere from the end of August to the beginning of September, generally about September 8th. Okay, I' had a frost oh, and when can you start our last yeah. frost in um usually like right after Memorial Day, like first week of June,
1: okay, so you so thing, your your last frost or fr- your last frost is not too different than mine. Our last frost is uh, typically May fifteenth, but then we have a much longer growing season because my first frost will then be, you know, I would say, late September, mid-October sometimes. So we have about an extra month to grow than you do, almost two months.
0: And that makes a huge difference.
1: Major. (laughs)
0: All right, let me me introduce you before we drop any more golden seeds. Sure. Okay, here we go. Welcome to the Green Organic Garden. It is Tuesday, February 1st, 2022. And I have an awesome guest on the line, her blog is gardenthoughtfully.com she's in central pennsylvania so here to join
1: us today is heather andrews thank you heather oh jackie thank you so much for the invite it's so nice to uh meet you and your audience i know right it's
0: fun to meet other people um well go ahead and tell listeners a little bit
1: about yourself and like your blog. Sure. So um, I am am a southern gardener who has moved to the arctic northeast of Pennsylvania. Uh, (laughs) We've had a very cold winter so far. Uh, We are for the very first time out of single and double digits here uh, today, actually. So I'm super excited because I understand this is the equinox between winter and spring is today. So we're halfway done, guys. We're almost there.
0: Really? Oh, that's good to know.
1: Yes. I'm super
0: excited. Like I... This year, our winter is never going to end. Like I went out to feed the birds this morning. It's so icy. Yes. It's just been like a really lot of not going out because it's super icy and then yes. going to be quiet.
1: Yes. So, um, so obviously this is the time of year of seed catalogs and planning and I'll actually be putting some seeds today, uh, starting some seeds, because I have an upcoming seed class here with a local nursery, Uh, because certainly, as you know, food has gotten very expensive, and during pandemic, gardening became the number one hobby in North America, and that continues today. So, I became interested in gardening as a little girl. So my granddaddy Andrews um, always grew an acre garden for myself and my 12 cousins and I. So we ate out of that garden in the summertime, but he was a beekeeper too. And he used to tell me that when his bees did well, his garden did well. And I sort of filed that away in my little brain. And when I moved to the Northeast and married my husband, imagine my surprise when our last frost date is May 15th. And all of a sudden I'm having to figure out how do I grow things with a much shorter growing season? And I remembered what my granddaddy Andrews taught me. And I started putting pollinator plants in my garden, not realizing that not only would I have the benefit of butterflies and all kinds of visitors to the garden, but that it would uh, make a bumper crop. And that first year, Jackie, I was calling my neighbors going, if you don't get over here, I am going to ring your doorbell, leave a bag of groceries and run away. I don't know what I'm gonna do with all this food, but I'm a clinical researcher by day. And ironically, the clinical data supports putting pollinator plants in your garden. You can increase the yield by up to 30%. So I love to teach people how to grow food sustainably. To grow more food and to do it uh, without chemicals, so that you can support more pollinators. So it's a win-win in a lot of different ways.
0: Oh my gosh, golden seeds! My listeners are going to love you. This is exactly what they want to hear. How to increase their yields by thirty percent? And I love. I'm so like, like I always have been thinking. Like if I write another garden book, it is going to be about pollinator borders. I tried to grow one last year and. Well, technically, my husband ended up doing most of it, but um, it was not anywhere near as successful. So I'm super excited, especially since we have like fairly similar seasons. And, um, you know, your learning curve has been kind of the same. What what is a clinical what does that mean?
1: So I've been in the medical device industry for 22 years. I still consult in the industry. Um, But the latter part of my career has been revolving around clinical trials, and so I have been exposed to clinical data as part of my job for many, many years, and um, I help companies bring their products to market. So I work with really innovative technologies, um, mostly in the cardiovascular space, um, but in some other spaces too. And uh, so I but I, I love being able to take really complex data sets and make it immediately accessible for the gardener. So I'm surrounded by teaching universities that are focused on agriculture, like Rutgers University, for example, that put out fantastic pieces of information and you might not know, but Pennsylvania is one of the bread baskets of the United States. We have the ninth largest uh, county that grows food in the country without water. Uh, So we're blessed to have lots and lots of rain um, and uh, our Amish community, Lancaster County, grows a significant amount of food for the Eastern Seaboard. So I love that I am surrounded in 15 minutes in any direction I can drive and I can be on a farm.
0: Oh my gosh, I love all of this. So what kind of degree do you have to get to get in that field? Like is it medical
1: degree (laughs) or statistics or like? So my degree is in psychology ironically, but I think it's great because I work with doctors all day, right? And I can honestly say I'm married to one, and uh, there's a lot of psychology in in, in working with physicians. I, I I love them. They are amazing people, and um, they work very hard. And I can tell you they care a lot about their patients. Um, but you know I have to convince them to work with me to do clinical trials, and um, you know, and then the companies because I have this long relationship with a lot of these physicians. I'm able to help them choose physicians that might want to participate and, uh, you know, have their patients participate, obviously, uh, as well in the clinical trials. So, um, but, you know, when you're looking at data sets, especially when you're looking at research, how do we make it so it's understandable to the home gardener? How do we make it so that you can take actionable items out of that data and put it to work in your own backyard. And that's what I really love to do. So I do a lot of webinars with book authors, and then I'm also a professional speaker for a lot of different garden clubs and uh, arboretums and other professional organizations. Uh, I'm also called to be um, a expert witness for a lot of townships in this area because There are a lot of people like you, Jackie, who would like to grow more food in their backyard, who would like to have pollinator gardens, and they may live in a neighborhood or in a township that won't allow that because, quote unquote, it looks messy. And I help change what messy and what gardens should look like. I change perceptions. And, um, you know, what I find is that. Like with
0: like an HL, like would regulate or like who would be in court over that?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, even in my own neighborhood, there are rules about what things should look like. So I, I live in a pretty formal neighborhood, but you know, I find that if you give your pollinator garden structure by creating walls or barriers or you know to say this is not weeds these are flowers um, and the majority of my pollinator garden um, for growing food where I have the food combined with the flowers is in the backyard but I experimented a bit last year and uh, one of my neighbors feeds our deer now I'm not going to say I agree with that but The deer had put corn or someone, a a woodland creature had planted corn in one of my front beds. And I realized what it was. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to let it come up and see if anybody says anything. And actually the neighbors really found it very funny that I was growing corn in the front yard. Um, But I tell them I didn't plant it. it just grew. (laughs) (laughs) But I love to put decorative vegetables in with my garden. Um, you know, and make it look very appealing. But also, the beauty of doing that is that a lot of these flowers are complementary to the food I'm growing. And so they can act as distractions or, or trap crops. And so I have a lot less pests that I am dealing with. And I have a genetically compromised pet. So chemicals are not an option in our yard.
0: Oh, I love all this. So I just have to ask, did the corn actually produce like coffee
1: corn? It did. I had corn, um, but it was not the kind of corn that you would eat. It's considered here feed corn. So uh, once we cut the stalks down, I just left the corn out for the critters. Um, So, but I mean, it was very cool looking to have corn in a very formal garden.
0: (laughs) How big is your place where you're at? I'm sorry, say that again. How how big is your place? Like, is it a house or a farm or? So I live in a house.
1: Um, All of these houses sit on a pretty good size of land. So I have about one and three quarters acres with a creek with a wood lot. So I have a little tiny forest behind my house that separates me from the next um, neighborhood. Uh, So the beauty of that is I grew up where, we had a ton of woods beside our house. In the 1970s, um, my parents, now I can completely appreciate it because the interest rates were in the teens at that time, but a developer was going to come in and develop that land and my parents bought it at that very high interest rate so that it couldn't be developed so us neighborhood kids could grow up in our own little tiny forest. And so during pandemic, Jackie, that was my solace. Uh, we were second most locked down behind the state of California. Um, my husband being a frontline healthcare worker, you can imagine how terrifying it was every day when he would leave for work and they didn't have enough PPD, meaning masks and, and protect, protection equipment. Um, and uh, that forest really became my solace because I couldn't go anywhere. And I would go out and hack at all these invasive plants. The benefit of that was I was rewarded with this carpet of spring ephemerals, which are tiny little flowers. It literally just because I removed all these invasives, all these beautiful little flowers came. And those tiny flowers are super important as our native bees, which we have over 400 here in the state of Pennsylvania, wake up and they need something to eat. And the first thing they look for are those flowers. How did you know what to cut down? (laughs) Well, in our area, um, pretty much, if it's got color this time of year, it's usually not native. Um, So there are um, vines um, that are, you know, Climbing up the trees, so those typically are not native vines. Uh, We also have other invasives that have invaded our woodlands, uh, like uh, non-native roses that were used by the settlers when they first came here as fencing for livestock. Um, So I, that's very obvious because it's just covered in thorns. So I created a giant pile of that which the birds then use for housing Um, And then I also had a lot of things like um, uh, barberries. So barberries are not a native plant, highly invasive. Now we have gotten them banned for sale here in Pennsylvania. But I would say if you go in any yard in this neighborhood, it was a very popular landscape plant about 20 years ago. Unfortunately, it has berries on it. And those berries get deposited by birds in places you don't want them to grow. And it's very difficult to eradicate them, but this time of year, they're one of the only things in the forest that have color. So I know what it is. Um, And we recently had volunteers in one of our big state forests near here called Michaud, remove eight acres of this invasive plant. So there's a misnomer, Jackie, that, well, it's not going to leave my yard. Um, That is completely wrong. So what we try to do is educate gardeners about native plants that would be an acceptable alternative, but also can be a host plant for many native butterflies.
0: So what are some examples of those? Mm.
1: That's a great question. So if you're looking to grow food, um, elderberry is a great one for your um, butterflies, but also your birds. It makes a great syrup that will keep you well in the wintertime too, if you can get to those berries before the birds do. Um, I also love um, one that is uh, I'm trying to think. I know it's called Diablo um, is, is the common name of it, but it it is um, I have to think about the name of that one Jackie I'm I'm blanking on it but That's there right.
0: you are a sec because I was just gonna say that elder elderberries like I feel like I've seen like an upsurgence in, in elderberries the last couple of years because they're so full of antioxidants and they're really good for you right and they help boost right. your immune system which is like against COVID.
1: COVID on, and on the flu things. um you know the flu is also um they have done clinical trials on elderberries and it can be used as a preventative, so I just keep it in my fridge. I order it um, because my birds—they <laughs> eat them all. I very rarely get elderberries, uh, but that's I just okay. Love that's your laugh. I, I, I grow them for the birds, not for me. <laughs> so, um, but there are other um, native shrubs that I love too, that not only look really attractive this time of year, like winterberry has lots of bright red berries that look great against the snow but are really important carotenoids and fat sources for birds this time of year. So I really try to educate people too about why you want to leave your garden standing this time of year. What a lot of people don't realize is those seed heads are nature's bird feeders. And so super important for the overwintering birds But in addition, I don't recommend cleaning up your garden Um, today down in North Carolina where my parents live. My mom's like, oh, it's 70. I'm going to go out and clean up the garden. I'm like, no, not yet, because it's not consistently over 50 degrees. And the problem is, is that the majority of your pollinators are sleeping in that leaf litter, as well as in those uh, stalks of your perennial plants that have been left standing. So until your temperatures consistently reach 50 degrees, let the garden sleep and let your next year's butterflies, fireflies, and native bees stay in that leaf litter. Don't clean it up just yet.
0: Awesome, that is great advice for sure. Um,
1: So Heather, tell us about something that did grow well this year. Oh, goodness. Um, let's see. So I, um, I did a really cool technique this year that I had never done before in the past growing season. I used a technique called no dig gardening. Do you do that? Jackie, are you familiar with that concept? I am familiar
0: with it. We're working on it slowly getting there.
1: Yeah, so no dig for your audience couldn't be easier. Uh, certainly when this house was built, um, one of the challenges of many houses being built is the topsoils were removed. And so on part of my backyard, it is really hard packed clay and it is very difficult to dig into. So I have a lot of raised beds on that side of the yard for that reason. Um, But I wanted to try Charles Dowding, who is an English gardener and his weather's quite similar to central Pennsylvania. Um, I wanted to try his no dig technique. So it's real simple. Uh, You just save your cardboard boxes, obviously remove any staples or any kind of um, tape, non-slick cardboard. And I have four cats. So uh, lots of chewy boxes come to my house every day. Um, and then you overlap those boxes and you add compost, not soil, compost. So I had six inches of compost, uh, brought in and I spread it over the boxes, left myself a little walking path. And, um, I put my garden in there and I used a really cool system from, uh, trellis and fence, which is made out of galvanized steel. And I grew more tomatoes in that system than I've ever grown in my entire life. Uh, my cherry tomatoes got 16 feet tall in that system. It was insane. Um, and I had well over mm-hmm, a thousand that's crazy. It's in totally crazy. Um, and I had over a thousand cherry tomatoes on two plants. So Ooh. I'm going to say that went swimmingly well, but keep in mind, Jackie, that I plant for (laughs) pollinators. So I surrounded those plants with um, borage, which is um, an herb, super easy to start from seed, beautiful and edible, but the bees went berserk over that plant. They loved the borage. Um, I also had um, a really old fashioned flower That again grew from seed, and I like rareseeds.com. I don't know if you've ever ordered from them. That's the Baker Creek, Creek? I love those guys. Um, so there were some just gorgeous uh flowers that I grew from seed from them, and again, I'm blanking on the name of that one, um, but um. And then I surrounded my plants with herbs. So, you know, just like you and I have friends, plants have friends. So basil and tomatoes go together very well. I grow um, calendula, which is a huge, huge benefit for a lot of different pollinators for and and um, medicinally, there's a lot of reasons you can use calendula. Um, And then um, I also grow nasturtiums, and those are edible and again can act as a trap crop for keeping and confusing the bugs. So I don't, what I found with no dig was several things. Um, One, um, it was a lot less maintenance. I didn't weed that garden once, not once. (sighs) So I don't know that I'll ever grow a garden any other way. Um, two, I found that the cardboard stays moist. So while we had a good rain year last year, um, I was not having to water so much. Um, and three, I used some, a very ancient technique, uh, with olas, which are these clay pots that you bury underground and then you fill them up with water. And then it has like a little lid that goes on top and that kept my roots of my tomatoes watered all the time and that just seemed to be the trick Ooh, i'm going to uh, try that yeah so if you've got a local potter you just need unglazed clay and you can ask them to make you an olla and if you go to my facebook page or my youtube channel we have um videos on all of the things that we just talked about um so happy to is your
0: facebook page at garden thoughtfully or it's heather andrew uh
1: so my garden, my facebook page is the thoughtful gardener uh, and uh the youtube channel is garden thoughtfully so I, it flips around um this started jackie as just a way to get out of my head. I had a coach that was like, you need to do something other than work. (laughs) And uh, she's like, what do you like to do? I'm like, I love to garden. So I started shooting videos in my garden with my cell phone uh, four years ago now, and um, not realizing that there were a lot of crazy butterfly people out there like me. And I completely blame this on the master gardeners of, of central Pennsylvania. They were the ones who told me about milkweed. And I put that in that first year vegetable garden and the caterpillars ate it to the ground. And I'm oh. like, okay, now what do I do? <laughs> so, um, so I um, started shooting videos of them Eating and turning into chrysalises, and then turning into butterflies, and all of a sudden, like twenty five thousand people are watching these videos, and I'm like, "What is going on here?" So this completely started by accident, but clearly, um, you know, it's it's become a passion to share what I'm doing so other people can grow more food and provide habitat for wildlife.
0: Can you tell listeners explain what a trap plant is because? I don't know that anybody's actually talked about that before, like specifically, like I've had some people talk about how like they ended up with one, but like, do you want to talk about that?
1: Sure. So essentially what a trap plant is designed to do is just to confuse a predator, right? So for example, flea beetles would be a great example of this where they like to eat a, a lot of vegetables early in the season, in my case. But if I plant radishes, they are attracted to the radish leaf and they'll eat that, which is not part of the plant I'm going to eat anyway. So I really don't care. So that might be an option um, to plant. In there's a fantastic book on this if you're interested in you know in this concept, uh, Jessica Walliser has written a really fantastic plant, uh, book called um, Plant Partners, and um, I am a huge fan of her. She's a delight to uh, talk to, and she's got great information. But um, I have used a lot of her techniques in my own garden, planting things like alyssum, which again. Just distracts the um the, the insect long enough that perhaps it's masking the uh, smell of the plant that they would normally eat. But I find that I just don't have a ton of plant damage. Now, the only I would say frustration from a, a prey a prey standpoint that that's frustrating to me um, I have a groundhog that thinks everything in my garden is quite delicious. So he and I constantly have tussles, (laughs) but, uh, he, he, you know, he's part of the ecosystem. So he gets to stay. I just grow more food for him. Um, I did have some issues with cabbage whites as well, which is a little tiny butterfly that loves to lay eggs on things like cabbages um, and anything leafy green like a kale. Um, and uh, so what I do in the mornings when I go for a walk with my garden supervisors, the cats, um, I will take a plate with me and I will just pluck those off and then we take them to the bird feeder. So nature's hot dogs, the caterpillars are loved by the birds. So they know that I'm out there doing that for them. And I, within five minutes, they're completely gone.
0: that is the best story I love that everything from the cat supervisors to um Jessica go I feel like changed my life last summer I read her book about um I don't know if it was the plant partners but it, I think it was it was one about like the bugs in your garden
1: yes and, and she I just, just mean... re-released that by the way just just like I think this week so she's oh, updated okay. that
0: I should reach out to her again and see if she wants to interview them because um she was just uh i i just like i i don't think i will ever go to the garden again and not look at bugs differently and not appreciate so many more of the beneficials and be able to identify the different beneficials and like like all of a sudden dragonflies look you know i was just like oh my gosh look at these dragonflies and like seeing how many different ones there were like before i would always think there was just like one type and just um a huge change uh, and I love all that. I can't believe you have got sixteen foot tomatoes. <laughs> that is just—I could not either. It like, is it's where did insane. they grow up? Like, were they just self-supporting, so, or
1: like—that's so what's. I mean, sixteen feet is like three of me. I'm five uh, foot three. Yeah. So this system is really cool. The um the uprights are over six feet tall, and then you just continue to add uh these cattle panels to the uprights. Um, So as the plant grows, you, you can continue to add up. So they just exceeded over the top. Uh, You know, it it was unlike anything I've ever seen, but um, what I will say, we have terrible downdrafts here in the summertime, we get these straight line winds and I've tried every tomato cage on the market and they all fall. It's just inevitable. This is the first time I've put a tomato cage in using this um, gardens, trellis and fence system, and they're based out of Maryland. Um, And you might be able to ask your local ACE hardware because it's in the system, but maybe they can carry it for you. Um, But the problem is, is that, you know, these, these systems, and I feel like I've tried every tomato cage, literally, they, they, they will collapse under the weight of the plant or with the wind. But these suckers didn't move. In fact, I've left them up because they're galvanized steel. I didn't feel like I needed to bring them in this winter. And they're just they're waiting for the next year's tomatoes and cucumbers to, to be planted.
0: I feel like that is like a big secret that everybody got into last year was those galvanized steel cattle type panel things. So I'm even gonna try them this year for our, our grapevine. I'm just yeah. curious about your groundhog, like if, if like, does he not bring in friends and don't you end up with more groundhogs if you don't do so, something to keep him out?
1: Yeah, definitely. He is hanging out in the garden. Um, so I, um, my house is made out of stone and there was some leftover stone when this house was built. And so, um, I don't do the heavy lifting around here. I do have a landscaper that helps with things like, you know, uh, doing a tree, you know, Tr- you know, trimming and things like that that I shouldn't be on a ladder doing. Uh, but he saw this stone, and he was like, you know, I think I could build you some extra walls because he knew that I had pretty poor soil um on the far side of my house. And so he put these stone walls in. And uh yeah, the groundhog moved right in. He just has a nice little house right in my stone walls. And <laughs> um <laughs> so uh but you know I'm in the garden enough that you know, uh, we have a lot of critters backing up to a creek and uh, to to um, this this small tiny forest. And we have deer, and we have uh, skunks, and possums, and raccoons, uh, some squirrels, bunnies, uh, and tortoises for sure, um, and and a bear. I, I have had the bear come into the garden twice. Um, he's really not that interested in me whatsoever, but you know, bird seed or, you know, those berries look delicious. He'll, he'll, he'll eat those. Um, but, uh, my husband, Do you have bees? Do you I have bees? don't, Do you know, native no bees. Have
0: been made of bees?
1: <laughs> yeah. So, so like we talked about, um, we're really blessed here in, Uh, Pennsylvania to have over 400 native bees. And they're such a huge part of our ecosystem. Even in my own garden, I have ground dwelling bees. The majority of our native bees live in the ground. And if you were to walk to my pollinator garden, I don't have any mulch or straw or anything where I know they live. They bury themselves down in these nests in the ground. And they're not aggressive. Um, but they're super duper important because I have some that are just tiny, tiny, tiny little, little ones. And I have some that are the size of a half dollar. They're just massive. And, you know, people will come and visit and if they're not used to being around bees, sometimes they'll get really, you know, scared. So I'll warn them, look, you know, these are native bees. They're collecting nectar. They're super not interested in you. I've never had anybody be um, stung uh, from from our native bees. and you know, they are uh, really, super important. Um, here in Pennsylvania, we produce one billion dollars in apples a year. and what they found is that in our orchards where they put pollinator hedgerows, which is basically native plants and, and annual native flowers, that, uh, the, the crop is significantly more, um, they, so this, this research keeps coming back with other types of fruit, um, like watermelons. This study has been done in in Clemson University down south. And what they find is that the fruit set, when you put in these pollinator strips is better In other words, more visitation from more pollinators, and it is a significantly larger um, haul of fruit versus a beehive.
0: Golden seeds, Heather, this is awesome. Uh, You have no idea how much I love this because I love the pollinator strips and just the flowers and bringing the native bees and um in your garden like how you get along with your animals how about something that didn't go the way you thought it was gonna this year
1: oh well um like I said we had a lot of rain so I usually have a really good crop of uh of cucumbers and I just think it was a little too wet for the cucumbers and they just didn't do well I think I will probably move them back up towards the house. Again, I have a lot of stone and stone walls and I feel like um, the other issue is that the soil is not warm enough uh, for the uh, cucumbers. And then I fight the uh, groundhogs too in the lower gardens. They don't tend to come up closer to the house. So I feel like um, if I'm going to do cucumbers again this next year, I'm gonna definitely put them in the stone beds Um, I feel like the stone radiates more heat too, and those cucumbers like it hot. So I think that's one, one thing I will definitely do differently, um, for next year.
0: This is a part of the show we call getting to the root of things. So do you have a least favorite activity to do in the garden?
1: Something you have to (laughs) kind of force yourself to get out there and do? Least favorite activity. Oh, wow. Let's see. I would say that, you know, um, I'm not a huge fan of like major pruning. Um, I, I would say that I probably need to get better at it. And I would say least favorite probably is just like the heavy lifting stuff. Um, so I try to recognize as, as I get older, there are things I like to do and there's things I don't like to do. So one of the things I will do when I'm cleaning up my garden and so forth is leave piles and I let my landscaper guys who are big burly guys <laughs> pick those up and take them down to my compost bins because it's just a little too heavy a lot of the time for me to try to do. So um, so I, I, I think it's important that you realize your limitations and you don't try to do everything. And uh, if you're looking for a great ergonomic gardening book. Um, I'm a huge fan of Tony Gattoni. Um, she's got a great book on like gardening at any age and, you know, gardening gracefully and realizing, you know, as you get older, you, you gotta be smart about what you try to do in a day, making sure you wear sunscreen and making sure you wear, you know, proper clothing and drink enough water and, you know, sit in the shade and, and I, you know, I, I, I <laughs> like most gardeners, once you get out there and you get going, you try to do everything. And, uh, so I, I just have to get a little better at being like realistic about what I can do as one individual in a day and not try to do it all.
0: I love this. I'm going to get that for my husband for Valentine's day. Um, so on the flip side, what's your favorite thing to do in the garden?
1: I mean anything related to the butterflies is just totally up my alley. Um I you know love to try to figure out how to invite more of them into the garden and um you know it's just such a delight to see them and fortunately, you know I I work from home so I do try to get out and my uh garden supervisor cookie is uh also the human walker. She loves to take her human for a walk. So, um, she will remind me when I have been in the office for too long and I need some sun, um, to get out and to spend time with her in her garden. Um, but you know, it's, it's, you know, it's always a changing environment out there. And like you mentioned about Jessica's book and looking for the bugs, there's always something really interesting going on. Um, different visitors, whether it's a tortoise or whether it's a dragonfly or different types of bees, wasps, you know, um, butterflies. It's just such a treat to be able to watch them. And I recently learned that there is a healing vibration that the bees get all give off, when you are um, in the garden. And I I didn't know about this phenomenon and I need to read more about it to understand it. But beekeepers are one of the longest living professions.
0: You mean like people who are beekeepers live longer than other people?
1: Apparently so. Cool. Yep. There seems to be something about their vibration that resonates with us. So you know, I need to know more about this.
0: So, Heather, what's the best gardening advice you've ever received?
1: I think that, you know, when I get questions about pollinator gardens and how do I do this and so forth, you know, I want you to think about that, you know, just like if I invited Jackie to my house and I want her to stay for the afternoon, I need to offer Jackie something to eat and maybe something to drink. But if I just have one type of food, maybe I've picked food that Jackie doesn't like. And so it's really important to think about your garden as a symphony of blooms. And we want to offer your pollinators lots of different, highly nutritious food to eat. And I'm not talking about butterfly bushes. Yes, butterfly bushes attract uh, butterflies. But the reality is, is that that's like feeding junk food to your kid all day. It's not high value food, and that's not a host plant for them whatsoever. So really want to think about getting and embracing your natives and putting in keystone plants so that you can grow more food. If you ate today, thank a pollinator. One out of three bites you take is courtesy of a pollinator. And I'm a huge fan of the National Wildlife Federation, who has In conjunction with Doug Tallamy, who's a world-renowned entomologist that happens to live here in Pennsylvania and teaches at the University of Delaware, Um, he talks about that, you know, we are part of the solution. Nature is not over there somewhere. 85% of the land here in the United States is privately owned. So if I was to give you any advice, which I have obviously implemented in my own backyard, which is, you know, we need to create our own wildlife parks in our own backyards and we can do that by partnering with organizations like national wildlife federation who have a great guide where you just put in your zip code for the native plants that are most beneficial to the wildlife in your area
0: oh my gosh you just like golden seeds just like fall out of your mouth like it's like syrup or something (laughs) i don't know just so i'm so glad you booked this cut. How about a favorite tool? If you had to move and can only take one tool with you, what could you not live without? Ooh,
1: oh, my goodness. Well, I would say the thing that I have learned because I have a tendency to get very excited when I'm in the garden and leave things everywhere, which is really annoying. Um, I have an apron that I got from New York Sky and Company. It's like a black, heavy-duty, waterproof apron, that um, is like a combed cotton. So the water just rolls straight off it, but it's got all these pockets. So I can keep my phone in there in case I want to take a video of something very quickly. I can keep, I can also use it this time of when it's when it's garden time. Um, I tend to listen to a lot of books. Uh, so the book that allows me to listen to something while I'm working. Um, and then it's got all my little pockets. So I have all my little tools in there, but it will say my favorite tool at the moment that a friend gave me for Christmas is called a root buster. And I am again, no big, no dig gardener, but there are times that I need to lever something out of the ground. And this thing is crazy. It's just amazing. I love it.
0: Who makes that? Do you know?
1: I don't know the the name the answer to that. Okay. Yeah, it's called Root Buster, and it was given to me as a gift. So I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure who is the manufacturer.
0: Cool. You know what I do? I paint mailboxes so I can keep my tools in a mailbox in the garden. Oh my gosh.
1: I love that idea. uh, (laughs) So great. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so to, I'm always like getting down in the garden I'm like oh, where are my pruners if I just have my pruners I would dedicate those flowers right now or I would do this and then I go back up yep. to the house and then I get you know stuck doing something else and then I forget and then it's the next day, and I go back in again so I like to just keep my pruners or like the sprinkler because my dog has like a plastic fetish and she chews anything plastic so I'll put the sprinkler in there at night or just I have like a small amount of tools that I keep in this one string for tying things up for like the tomatoes, um, just like uh, like some twine, some hemp twine that we have and just, I love that. But I love the apron thing. And remember listeners, my good friend Decia from Simply Josephine makes beautiful aprons um, that would work good for that. How about, what's next? Uh, a favorite recipe you like to cook or eat from the garden.
1: Oh my goodness. Well, when when the garden is really producing, there's not too much that makes it in the house. Uh, I will say this last year I grew a cherry tomato called Sungold and that was literally like eating candy in the garden. They were the sweetest cherry tomatoes and a little larger than a standard cherry tomato. But my favorite thing to do is wrap that in a nasturtium, which is sort of peppery so you get sort of this spicy plus sweet at the same time, which is super yummy. Um, But I have a friend who is also an author who's written a book called Eat Your Roses. And I bought her cookbook and it's all about cooking with flowers. And so I'm super excited. We got my husband for Christmas, an ice cream maker. So we're going to make some rose ice cream next year.
0: Oh, man, that sounds good. I'm going to look her up and see if she'll do an, an interview with me. Yeah. Um, I love to eat flowers. Nasturtiums are the best. That sounds so good, a Nasturtium around a cherry tomato.
1: So her oh. Facebook page is Mrs. Know-It-All. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> And she's a character.
0: Awesome. How about a favorite internet resource? Where do you find yourself surfing on the web?
1: Yeah, so because I'm a YouTube producer of content now, um, I will say I spend a lot of time on YouTube um, when I'm trying to research a topic. Um, uh, And then I'm a master gardener too. And I will say your master gardeners are great sources of of information. And some of the master gardeners do a great job with um, putting up things that are super helpful. The Allegheny County, uh, Master Gardeners here put up a lot of really great content that I follow, but in terms of learning, um, again, I highly recommend Charles Dowding's uh, YouTube channel. Um, I just find, first of all, he's like the Mr. Rogers of gardening. He's just very pleasant to listen I to. I
0: love Charles Dowding. He's my <laughs> all-time favorite YouTuber. For sure, for sure. Yeah,
1: for sure. I just I just find that what he says is is, is so true. Um, For us, you know, getting that temperature of 50 degrees soil temperature is really tough. And uh, the compost beds in the no dig garden have really made it easy for me to get my transplants going early in the season. And so I just, I'm hoping now that the uh, England has opened back up, I'm hoping to travel there this year. And there's a very famous garden garden competition i like to go to called chelsea that i've been to before and then i have a really really good friend who lives just outside the city and she loves everything that i do cats coffee and gardening uh so we eat cake go see as many gardens as we can <laughs> and uh, visit her cats. So, you know, I'm um, hoping though, to actually attend one of his courses at Homemakers. And um, so it is on the docket. We're just, you know, waiting for that confirmation that, you know, there's not going to be any, you know, um, quarantining or anything when I get there. So if that's the case, then I'm off to England in May for sure.
0: Sweet. I was just looking at tickets because I have a friend who's over there and she's like, you can come stay with me if you come. And um, there was, but I have been looking and there was one Airbnb that was like, you have to have proof of like necessity for travel, Um, Mm -hmm. but the others weren't, but yeah, uh, yeah, I'm hoping they're going to open up too and maybe get to go um, and see Charles doubting. And then there were like a couple of other people that I did interviews with last year that are there. And then I even just did one I haven't released yet for listeners of a woman who's down in Brighton and she was like, you have to come. And then also like coincidentally, my podcast hosts, the people that do my podcast are there. So I I'd, I'd love to hook up with some other podcasters.
1: Wow. Awesome.
0: Yeah. So um how about a favorite reading material like a book or a magazine that you can recommend?
1: So I highly recommend everybody get a, a subscription to the American Gardener that is free with your membership to American Horticultural Society. And the best part about this free membership other than their very beautiful, very, very helpful um, quarterly magazine is that you get a reciprocal gardens program um, that you will be uh, as a member a recipient of, which means that you can visit any garden in North America that is part of their reciprocal program for the cost of the membership to American Horticultural Society. So for 25 bucks, it's the best $25 you'll ever spend because most of your garden emissions are going to be at least that. And you'll see there's hundreds of gardens online as long as it's 90 minutes from your front door that you get to see it for free and some of them even that are closer than that here will let you come, but with Pennsylvania being the garden city. (laughs) We have lots and lots of of public gardens, and so this is like an amazing um subscription for the value that you get and they really got hurt during pandemic and they're now a hundred year old organization and I really hate to see them go away so I hope everybody will consider maybe chipping in a few dollars to them uh, so that they can continue their great work
0: oh my gosh Heather you have been such an amazing guest today sharing resources that I know my listeners are going to love a lot of ones that we have not heard before Um, just great information about pollinators. So before I ask my final questions or anything that like we didn't talk about that you wanted to mention.
1: Um, So I am um, partnering with Gardening Know How. It is a a wonderful resource as well online for everything related to gardening around the world. Um, But we are putting out a butterfly course and that will be coming very soon. And if your listeners are interested in how to do some of the things we've talked about on this call today, which is grow more food and be able to grow a no-dig garden, but specifically to attract and host the monarchs, which are the royalty of the garden, um, I'd love for them to join us in that journey. And uh, so you can go to Gardening Know How and Let them know that you're interested in the course. And once we have it ready, um, I'd love to join them. And then they can learn even more tips and tricks over a five-week course.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Heather, tell everybody how to connect with you one more time.
1: Great. So um, on Facebook, I'm the Thoughtful Gardener. And uh, we put tons of helpful content there every day. Um, I also video blog my garden during the garden season and this time of year I'm talking about tools and books and things that um, we did last year what worked and didn't work um so we'd love for you to join us uh, and join us on our uh youtube channel which is garden thoughtfully all of the rest of them are all garden thoughtfully so um happy to uh meet your listeners uh on surfing the web and i really appreciate the opportunity jackie to be able to talk to your audience
0: oh my gosh thank you for coming on and sharing all your amazing knowledge and just everything you talked about today i know listeners are going to love this because you just have a really eloquent way of explaining everything, but also you just drop like knowledge. Like, it's just incredible. I feel like how much we've learned from you. And that's part of why my show, I mean, that is why my show has been such a great success, but I don't feel like I hit as many um, awesome interviews last year as just you today.
1: It's my pleasure. We have to do this again. And during the growing season and talk about, what's working and you know what's going on i you know certainly am very um very appreciative to be here and to talk about my passion which is obviously creating um habitat for the monarchs i think a lot of people in the west heard the sirens call last year when the um, monarch count that they do every year on thanksgiving in the west um, almost was so small that they barely could count any monarchs. But people really got busy and planted milkweed and other nectar plants. And uh, we saw a huge resurgence this year of monarchs uh, that are overwintering in the Pacific groves. So yay, gardeners. Um, and certainly, um, you know, if you're interested in learning more about that, I encourage you to go to Monarch Watch and you can start to report the journey north as they start heading your way.
0: Oh my gosh, you just never stop sharing great information and that I feel like it's leaving our interview on like the biggest positive aspect of hope that we can do this because one of my first interviews was with um David, it's not Solomon but anyway, he was number 70 I'm pretty sure and he talked about like the monarch should be like the um, mascot of, you know, climate change and just the environment and, and gardeners because they were, you know, going extinct and there was such, and so anything we can do to try to help them and to hear that there is help coming, that things are working is just so wonderful. So
1: it's really, I would say one of the best things I think that has come out of pandemic that we can point to and say, okay, this worked. Um, But, you know, there are over 35,000 way stations, including mine, Caterpillar Haven, right here in um, Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Um, But there were additional 5,000 way stations added during pandemic. So while people were home, you know, they started converting parts of their lawn or maybe small businesses as well. But it's just really super impressive to see that people are you know, thinking differently about what constitutes what a great lawn might look like. And instead, you know, getting rid of the 4 million acres of lawn that we have here in Pennsylvania and instead creating what I'm calling pollinator corridors. And uh, you can register your way station, whether it's a a wildlife way station or a butterfly way station, on uh, Get on the Map, which is again Doug Talamy's work, but they have GPS satellite pictures and you can start to see where the pollinator gardens are and more importantly, where they are not. And maybe work with your city or town or your neighborhood to create a Monarch Mile. So I'm gonna leave you with that and see, maybe we can uh, talk about this topic again, but really excited to see that people are making the monarchs more habitat so that uh, they can continue to visit our gardens and delight us. I
0: love that. Thank you so much, Heather. Garden GardenSofffully.com, right?
1: Yes, you got it. Great.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. Take care. I want to donate directly to the show. You can buy me a cup of coffee where your donation goes directly to support the Green Organic Garden podcast. It helps pay for things like hosting the mp3 files, maintaining the website. It's super easy. I'll put the link in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening and remember, grow local.